everybody, and welcome back to Writing the Rapids, the show where I, Joe Balecki, talk to writers about writing, and very often those writers have been recommended to me by people who have previously been on the show, or it's a rejoinder episode, which this is. Logan Barry is back to talk about his new book called Casket Flare from Inside the Castle. You can find his relevant links in the show notes. If you want to help out the show, you can do so in a couple of different ways. You can join me on Patreon, patreon.com slash noisemakerjoe. For just a couple bucks a month, you can get these episodes early. You can also toss me a one-time donation at PayPal. That's paypal.me slash noisemakerjoe. Or you can buy my book. It's called Tired. You can find that on Amazon. You can also do the free things. Rate the show on the platforms you listen to it on. Tweet about it. Blog about it. Tell a friend. Those sorts of things. Now, without further ado, let's get into to my conversation with Logan. I want to talk about the process of writing Casket Flare. It was presented as you recorded the text into a a Bluetooth headset during a a seance. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's talk about like the actual writing of the book, the the conception, the execution, the aftermath. Sure. Um, well, as a prop, I'm wearing the headset right now. It doesn't work anymore. Um, <laughs> Did the ghost kill it? In a way, time killed it because this, in order to run this old school Bluetooth headset on my laptop, I would have to do a software update on my laptop that my laptop is not equipped to do. So Mm -hmm. my laptop is too weak to run a new software to run an old piece of equipment off of it. So it's totally dead. Um, But I'm keeping it around as a memento. Um, So conception. Um, It took about three years to prepare for. There were a confluence of influences going into it. One of them was starting to work these overnights at a group home where sleep became an issue. And the building that I was working in is 130 years old. And there were all kinds of strange perceptual phenomena happening, not just to me, but to others who had worked there for a long time. Um, I think it comes with the territory working midnight shifts. So that was one thing. reading the castle freak call for proposals um the inside the castle digital residency where you generate a book extremely fast with a uh, incredibly large word count and reading that call for submissions and i'm basically a recovering luddite i'm really bad with technological things um but i really wanted to figure out how to do it because i was really fascinated by it and after playing around with some things and finding a lot of the ai for lack of a better term word generating things very cumbersome and feeling like i couldn't do it quickly i just lived with a portion of the call for submission that just like buzzed around like an earworm which was the quote from stephen king where he said that um Cujo was not written by a human consciousness. So there was that. There were some deaths. There were some weird synchronicities happening while I was at work. Um, 
and synchronicities are a dangerous thing because from a more pathologizing standpoint, those can also be called apophenias, which is where you're finding unlike things having relationships between each other. Um, so kind of all that coming together, I started experimenting with the Bluetooth headset at work, doing speech to text experiments, and then cut to three years later, and I went to the Skylark Motel to invoke the kind of entities, for lack of a better word, um, that I was experiencing at work via the Bluetooth headset and by recreating my work movements at the motel with the thought being that the work movements have their own kind of occult power and there's a certain kind of context where you can perhaps tap into whatever is being invoked by the sort of mundane day-to-day -day things we do. Um, how did you find the Skylark Motel? It's It felt, uh, reading the text, very much like something from like another dirty room, if you've heard of that, uh, the YouTube show. I haven't, but I'll check it out. Another dirty room? Yeah. Excellent. Thanks for the recommendation. Mm -hmm. um, it was really... I wanted to find something really cheap. Mm. Um, and so I was researching all different kinds of hotel motels around the city. Really, really expensive in Chicago. The farther out you go, the cheaper it gets from downtown and so forth. Even in some of the neighborhoods, they're really, really expensive. Um, some of the ones by Midway looked right around my price point. I needed to also make sure they had a lot of vacancies because I had to organize it around like my one vacation day mixed with um, my couple of off days. And initially I wanted to go to a place called the Sportsman's Inn. Uh, it just looked older than the Skylark Motel. It just, the vibe was right. I'd walked down Cermak, no, excuse me, Cicero several times on just like kind of like longer city walks. And I was, I was, was attracted to the Sportsman's Inn. Um, but by the time I was ready to write the book, um, that was shuttered and the Skylark Motel was still open. It had been slightly refurbished, just the facade basically. And so that's where we ended up was the Skylark Motel. I put in a reservation about a month before and it's the kind of establishment that, of course they didn't have my <laughs> reservations saved from a month before, mm -hmm. but there were plenty of vacancies. Okay, interesting. So, there's quite a lot going on in the book. Um, I'm interested in um, how how you came about the methodology that you used for for seancing. There's photographs in the book, um, and I see lots of sort of occult ephemera. Um, and I'm not super familiar with like contemporary spiritualism, occultism, esotericism myself. Um, so there, there wasn't a lot that I could like identify, um, beyond, I think some tarot cards and, and candles. 
tricky because on the one hand, I don't want to tip my cards too much because the book kind of speaks for itself. Mm -hmm. But um, I have no training with any of this stuff. Everything I did was pretty much ill-advised and driven purely by aesthetics and experience. Um, about halfway through the book, um, you can see a correspondence I had with an actual occultist for mm -hmm. uh, a, a second part of it. And he seemed very troubled by, by everything I'd been doing. Um, so what was sort of like a, I know I'm using this wrong, but like a post hoc understanding of like what I was doing there. It, I think some might call it a chaos situation. So you're sort of creating the situation in which weird things can happen, mm -hmm. but it was mostly driven by aesthetics, experience, emotion, and instinct. Cool. And um, a lot of fear going into it. I think I'd be curious how many of my peers would count like the show Jackass as an influence, but it definitely is for me. It's so mm. funny. Like I love performance art and, and arts related stuff that really puts people at risk for, and, and, and it's a very um, perhaps juvenile, but also primal fascination. So, um, I, I'd be remiss not to mention that I probably watching all those jackasses growing up was a huge influence on this. That's fascinating. You know, I, I think having really never watched it myself, but just being around other guys who, who did watch it. And I think just growing up as a boy it gives you that sense of like, I'm going to just see how far I can go. Um, and I appreciate you doing that for writing. And I will also caveat that by saying that I've been pretty vocal on here uh, on the show about like being, if not anti-method writing, being, um, you know, skeptical of it or, or cautioning against it. Um, and I... I think that is is largely in in response to to certain types of auto fiction, um, partying and being poor and and drinking too much and stuff. Um, I I think I think I'm a lot more bullish on on uh, method writing when it comes to something like Casket Flare, where it's just like. I think maybe that just shows that I have more faith in, in the power of alcohol to ruin a life than, than in the supernatural. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. I'd, I'm glad you brought up Jackass. I think that that's very funny. Um, but, like, it also makes sense. The, the, the chaotic nature of the book, um, both, you know, in a sort of chaos magic, just sort of, like, willing shit to happen... Um, and in a, a disorderly sort of way. Yeah, there's a few things that you said are so insightful. So did you come up with method writing? Or is that something? Did I come up with it? I don't remember where I've heard it before. Um, it's a... If I have. So may maybe I have. I'll take credit for it. You should. I think it's a great description, and um, I think there's a time and a place for it. And I'm glad you brought up autofiction, too, because something I kind of wish I said on the last episode was an unremarked upon thing. Like, I realized, or like 
something I haven't thought about very much about what motivates me to do some of these things is um, I'm really motivated by what repulses me. So for example, mm. Crystal Lake, the last book, I recall like maybe 15 years ago reading some articles coming out being like fan fiction is the way of the future. I just so I was a lot younger and I thought it was so ridiculous and anti-humane and I was like what about you know innovation and the imagination and all this kind of stuff and lo and mm -hmm. behold my first book was a fan fiction book casket flair similarly was um, being motivated by kind of this repulsion to auto fiction so I'm like let me do the like most intense worst kind of auto fiction ever something so embarrassingly present tense and that is hopefully not too self-regarding i'm just trying to give it all to the reader mm -hmm. to make sense of it so that's that's the thing be motivated by your um by your repulsions that's one thing and then the other thing i guess i would say about the chaos element too is you know the process here had to ultimately become making some order out of the chaos and i think the first part of casket flare is sort of stylizing the chaos. And then the second part is giving order to a chaotic situation. Hmm. Yeah. So the second part was kind of a surprise to me. Um, I had, I had not expected more than kind of the, the Twitter sales pitch. Mm -hmm. um, and so that took place like what, two years after, the the skylark motel bit based on like the the timestamps on various um email correspondences and, and stuff and um so talk about that bit a little bit too uh for you know someone who hasn't read the book yet so i'll leave some of it unspoken for just because sure. i want people to get the book and see what it's all about but um it felt like casket flare to sort of sum it up maybe too quickly it felt really incomplete especially as i got older um casket flare was completed before i think any of the other stuff was so it, it felt like a, a really young young work the first part and um it also and I, i've had a lot of correspondences with mike correo who co-designed it and designed the second part completely um telling him it felt like an appendage that I needed to cut off. But at the same time, the appendage felt incredibly undeveloped. Um, so it needed a second part to kind of like respond to the first or, or something. But that that's what I'll say. That's how it kind of came about. I think, again, like the, ultimately there's a lot. <sighs> the reader can draw their own conclusions about what's driving this book. Um, I wanted it to be incredibly open to people pathologizing me or, or having fun with me or whatever. Um, but for me, having written it, and I don't think my way of reading it is the definitive one, but it, it is a book driven by aesthetics and impulse than more than anything else. Like I wanted something that you would feel excited to stuff in somebody's mailbox that you were had issues with to freak them out. Yeah, totally. I, 
it's such an aesthetic book. Um, I, I remember we, we must have talked about it at, at some length when you were on to talk about Crystal Lake. Um, but this one I feel even more so. I, it feels more cohesive um, stylistically. Um, and yeah, like there's, I love the, the sort of like macro photography of, of various cells or germs that repeat text um, and how text kind of like gets smeared across the middle of the page. Um, there, there's a John D reference at some point in the book and near the end you, you get like a hyper justified text that starts to look like those letter squares. Um, yeah, I, um, I also remember a long time ago talking to Mike about working with people about, uh, you know, whose books he's designing and, and sort of your, he, he brought up you having like kind of hyper specific requests from time to time. And, um, so I'm interested in knowing, peering into like what the, the working conversations you two had when it came to designing the book. Great questions. It would not exist without Mike's time-consuming, passionate interventions. Um, the first part, casket flare, the part that was generated at the motel. So I would all on my work routine. So at the group home, once the children were asleep, I would check their rooms every 30 minutes, walking southwest, I think the direction was, in, in the building, check on them in each room, walk back to my post, and then write in like a, an analog log what was going on. And so, and then I'd wait another 30 minutes and then do the same thing again. So in the motel, I would do some kind of like generative movement uh, every 30 minutes. And then the 30 minutes in between, I would start editing and designing. Hmm. So I should have said, I meant to send it to you before, but there is a, a Microsoft Word document that is what was generated at the motel. And it is absolutely crude and uh, goofy looking. But um, when John Treffrey accepted the manuscript, he had a lot of ideas about how to improve the way it looked. He was very careful and, and generous and asking questions like, well, this is a site specific text. How willing are you to manipulate things? And I said, very willing, you know, I, I want it to look as good as it possibly can. So one of the things he said was that the ghostly interruptions that happen. And again, that was really scary at the motel. Like that's, it was immediately a terrifying experience because there would be these like full on fully formed clauses and sentences that would appear. It seemed like totally out of my control in between sentences. I was saying the one that sticks out the most to me now, like with my bad memory and stuff was, I remember doing the first transmission in the motel and literally the, the phrase a murder here came out of nowhere in between two fully formed sentences. So in the heat of the moment, I just put double parentheses around those. So in the, in the original Microsoft doc version, it was 
these transmissions. And then I put the double parentheses around any interruption that seemed interesting. John's like, you need to like designate that those are interruptions. He talked about maybe doing some kind of like elaborate footnoting or like text table, something like that. Um, so I gave him two versions to, to see which one he liked better. One was where the interruptions formed like a text frame around each transmission. And then the other one was I took like these cancerous cells, darkened them up and then put them, put the interruptions in those and then like had tentacles coming off of them. <laughs> it took like six hours to just do like one of them because again, my prowess is very low. And John was very nice and said he liked them both. I can't remember exactly how the conversation went, but Mike started editing for Inside the Castle right around that time. And we were chatting and he said he'd be interested in helping Casca Flair. Maybe I even asked him to help me. And he took it over. And basically, to sum it up very quickly, he recreated that Microsoft Word doc completely in a more higher standard of execution. I told him you could add anything he wanted stylistically, imagistically, as long as the original sequence stayed the same 88 pages or whatever it was. And then that generated 80 pages. And then with the second part, um, I just sent him the raw text broken up into the order that I thought it should be in, a bunch of photos, and then just two or three letters sort of talking about potential inspirations, lots of Google Docs of photos and different things. And I mean, once he came back with a draft of the second part, I mean, it was so close to being done. He's, he's really amazing. It's, it, was, it was really, really fun. And he got it and he did exceeded all expectations. Not that I have, I don't even know if expectations are the right word, but it's really amazing what he does. I think it's interesting you mentioning John using like text tables or, or suggesting text tables and things like that. I th think the, I love how, do i want to say it like the value system that john and mike have are, are the same but their their aesthetics are different um yeah i really appreciate that are you helping for those listening at home the the kid has decided to wake up during the interview so we're gonna have a third person on the mic here for a little bit um yeah so i i don't know because obviously, well, I guess maybe not obviously, at, at the point in which Mike comes on board, um, did you find, well, this is your first Inside the Castle too, um, so maybe you don't know. I'm just, I'm curious to see sort of like how adding, how hands-on John is when Mike is designing a book for Inside the Castle. And maybe that's more of a question for, for John or Mike, but what was your experience with that? If I could speculate, because I can't give a definitive answer, um, it seems like John really trusts Mike and mm. let us do what we wanted. And he seemed um, excited to see whatever we would come up with. But there was real trust that Mike would do a good job. And he did. And how. <laughs> I agree. The book is gorgeous, right? I scrolling through the google doc you sent me when you first gave it to me was like was just very exciting it's 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 such a pleasure to get a book 
and and be able to flip through the pages and without reading a single word become very excited about it um and i know that uh you know obvi- obviously like i'm a, i'm a prose guy love prose love paragraphs and whatever but something about the book object man is just so good to me I oh I agree. Um, Is yeah, she distracting. I, no, she's so she's so cute. Um, I want to respond to her too. I think she's got a lot of good insights too. Um, yeah, the book object is is a wonderful thing. It for me one of the sort of more perhaps utilitarian less artistic cheats that the book object permits is you can play around with people's general lack of attention span. Mm -hmm. So you can force someone or surprise someone into reading something that might be a little more Baroque or less norm core than what they're used to through this highly stimulating medium. Um, yeah that's interesting i'd like i like that point too you can trick people into paying attention also that's one of the things i kind of wanted to make sure to bring up i have been desirous from like a like i don't know a productivity standpoint of of doing speech to text um i remember reading years ago there was some poet who started using speech to text with his poetry where he would he would be talking into a bluetooth headset or whatever um but he'd also have like the tv on in the background with the with the volume up fairly high um and oh i'm sorry it seemed like you wanted to get down um she wants to play with the microphone is what she wants um and what i've found i remember so i like at one point um, real Midwest people will know. I, I was on Mackinac Island and I happened upon some like some sort of infrastructure. There were like pipes kind of coming out of the ground in a shack and I got like a burst of inspiration from that. So I took out my, my phone and I started trying to um, dictate some sort of something about that. I know, I'm sorry. And um, found myself so self-conscious about that um, that I, I, aside from doing that such that the image is burned in my brain and eventually I'll be able to use it for something, uh, didn't create anything very good. And the sort of like poetics that you do, I was just, you know, you said you kind of practiced during during work and stuff. But yeah, like just kind of, and also your, you know, theater background is probably plays into it too, but, um, yeah, you know, how did you find that? Um, did you, did you find that more or less difficult than, than just straight up typing something onto a, a Word doc or? couple of things. I think 
especially like I said, it was a younger work mm -hmm. and absolutely talking was better than typing. Mm. And I think I was a much more self-conscious writer back then. And it would be painful to just get through typing something, laboring over stuff too much through the typing. So the, the talking became a kind of babbling, freeing thing to do. Um, but to kind of answer a question or thought that was latent in what you were saying, perhaps a little bit of shame with what we're doing is good and generative. Yeah, maybe. I want to push back against that. <laughs> um, not for any like aesthetic reason, um, mm -hmm. but because that just makes me feel very uncomfortable to, 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 to want to try to do that. Um, so I, I really have no, no actual like useful pushback. <laughs> my, my pushback is like, Oh no, that makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't want to do that. Um, which, which probably means that there's something very helpful in there. There's probably something very good about doing that. And I should do that. It's, it's like, it's like, yeah, it, it doesn't feel good and it's not good. <laughs> But like, at least personally, I mean, I had to like, inc like lock myself in a motel so that I wouldn't get too embarrassed, frankly, to do it in front of family or, or my clients at work. That'd be ridiculous. I mean, um, The second part of Casket Flare was working through some of the embarrassing results of the first part, for better and for worse. And perhaps Casket Flare is worse off for the second part, but that's for other people to decide. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is here. Sure. But, but I do, I do gravitate toward artworks where I cringe a lot mm. and feel um the hairs on my arms stick up and just and sometimes those don't always work but sometimes they do and i don't think casket flares for everybody but i think everybody would appreciate the way it looks even if they don't want to say read what i'm saying so maybe it's a smoke and mirrors thing it had to look so good that people would be enchanted enough to not actually read it yeah um the kid's very big fan of casket flare um uh, it's for the kids casket flare is for the kids i think that there was something very relieving in in how um casket flare part two uh was presented um i i don't know exactly how to yeah go ahead at, I'm not going to reveal too much about it, but a big part of the composition style of that one is, as stated, this Bluetooth headset that I'm wearing as a prop right now doesn't work on my current computer, so I've used AirPods, and those are not good at uh, inviting in the chaos, as it were. Mm. They're very accurate on what you're saying. Um, so those ended up being nice because Caskifler 2, again, has to deal with channeling a very chaotic situation into a composed text 
So imposing order on the chaos versus invoking that chaos. And the technology ended up being a huge part of that. I guess I could put those. Yeah, that's fascinating. Because it did feel very different. I mean, obviously, you know, we mentioned the compositional style and we don't want to give too much away. Um, but yeah, there was something something very different to it. And, and I guess the, the, the medium, so to speak, probably has a lot to do with that. Um, do you think this project has changed how you approach writing moving forward? How could it not? Mm. I try to approach each one on its own terms. Uh, Casket Flair feels like when Snatch Wilden, uh, who we've had on the show, read Casket Flair, he saw a continuation between the Crystal Lake styles and Casket Flair, which I thought was great because I thought Casket Flair was a total um, pariah among the usual stuff that I'm working on. So that was great. And I think a lot of it has to do with um, working with Mike again and giving it a cohesive aesthetic. Mm -hmm.